friends. Welcome to the Skyline Church podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. Friends, uh, my name's Jonathan. If you haven't met me, I'm one of the pastors here and excited to dig into our uh, series. Discipleship begins with beholding. If you've got a Bible, open it to Psalm 100. And we're just really excited to continue this series. Last week we talked about beholding through the word. Uh, I've heard great things about Chase's message. Um, and, and I think this is a huge thing is we, we want to learn, not, uh, not only do we believe that discipleship begins with beholding, which means the foundation of discipleship is in seeing Jesus really clearly. We actually want to learn how to do that. And one of the primary ways we behold God is in his word, through his word. Um, and I think it's one of those things where it's, it's we have to kind of retrain ourselves to read the word to behold rather than just read the world, word to acquire information. So I told Chase, I feel like God gave me this picture of like, and he might have said it, I don't know, but it's like you read the word like this, you hold it up, and you're like, I'm going to try to see God through the word rather than read it like this, like I'm going to memorize a bunch of stuff, I'm going to see what I can do to justify myself or how I can impress other people to my knowledge. I'm going to look at the Bible and I'm going to go like, oh, look at that. Look how good God is. Look how kind he is. Look how loving he is. Look how just he is. Look how holy he is. Look how worthy. It's just this thing that stirs worship. And it stirs all the things that we've been talking about. This cycle of beholding. Behold the picture. It's getting old. I know. (laughs) It's okay. It's all I got this week. had a long week. Okay. Uh, so what, what happens is when we see him, you get revelation, right? He reveals himself to us. And when he reveals himself to us, we see his beauty. And that beauty leads to fascination. That fascination leads to love. That love begins to delight ourselves in him, which leads to an ever-increasing desire, which leads to passion, the fire that Greg talked about a few weeks ago, which leads to this whole thing going over and over and over again. This is the basis of Christianity. This is what a Christian is meant to look like, is someone who has a revelation of the living God. Not someone who's good morally, not somebody who has uh, been able to change their behavior through willpower, not somebody who has all the answers. It's the person who has seen God and never gotten over it. That's, that's what a Christian is. I've seen the Lord in the land of the living and I will never be the same. I've never gotten over it. So, this week we're going to talk about uh, one of the primary ways that I think God uh, allows us to behold him. The words one clearly. This week I want to talk about singing. Because one of the things we've gotten a little bit about is like, hey, why so much worship? Why so much singing? Why do we spend so much time in groups doing this thing? And, and I want to show this week, and I want to um, at least put before you how singing is one of the primary tools that we have to behold God and why that is. Um, and so it's interesting, when we first started this journey, God really gave me a vision for Skyline to be a house of prayer. And you might go, well, why, why should Skyline be a house of prayer? It's because Jesus said, that's what I want my house to be. <laughs> when Jesus got a chance to describe his house, he said, my house should be a house of prayer for all nations. It should be a place where people come into contact with me. 
And then I was like, house of prayer. Oh no, that sounds super boring. Anybody else? And you're like, house of prayer. How many of you have been to prayer? You've been to some prayer meetings. Anybody? Raise your hand if you're a pastor's kid in here. Look a whole, man, there's a lot of pastor's kids in here. How many of you are like, oh no, it's prayer meeting night. Oh, here comes old Bill. He's going to pray for 30 minutes, which really means he's going to preach to someone in the crowd, right? You're like, I wonder who he's talking to, because he's talking to somebody, like, right? And so you just get to this thing where you avoid prayer meetings because they're boring. Um, and, and we forget that prayer is not just words to God. Prayer is like this whole huge thing. But one of the things I think we have to remember when Jesus says the word prayer, he used the word he, uh, in Hebrew, tefillah, which actually are prayers that are sung. When you hear the Jewish people roll through their prayers, they're singing their prayers. There's this thing that you learn from the history of Christianity, which began in Judaism, which Jesus embodied, that are such key things about how to come into con uh, an encounter with God. Remember, we talk about, like, if you watch a Jewish person pray, they always move. Because they say if your body's still, your mind is overly active, usually. But if your body's active, your mind starts to slow down. And so they'll sway and they'll sing their prayers. So it's this thing of like prayer meetings. Mike Bickle, um, the International House of Prayer in Kansas City started 23 some years ago. I think it was 2000, 2001, something like that. Um, and they've been doing 24-7 worship and prayer for 23 years. Think about that. In that room, unceasing for 23, 24 straight years, unceasing worship and prayer. And he said this, because he said, uh, prayer without worship is like stacking rocks. <laughs> Anybody ever had a job just like stacking stuff and you're just like, oh, okay, I'll do it, right? But, and that's what I felt when God's like, uh, become a house of prayer. And then I discovered uh, these ministries like IHOP and Upper Room and these places where they're like, no, 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 worship and prayer are meant to go together. Singing is actually the key in so many ways to releasing movements of prayer. Um, and, and so today we're going to talk about that. So Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Literally, God tells you how to come before him. And this is, this is really interesting because any important person that you were to meet, I guarantee you before you show up to meet them, you will get a list of instructions about what to do. Right? So like if you were to meet with Elon Musk or with, with uh, President Biden or with any, any number of like people who are of importance in the world, you would probably get an email before you go saying, hey, he's a lefty handshaker, so be prepared. I just made that up off the top of my head. I, I don't know. Like maybe there's going to be something about meeting them that they're like, hey, they don't like this or they don't like that. Or when you come in, here's, you know, it, it's really interesting. God actually gives us how to approach him, what is acceptable in our approach to him. And this is really important because if we're not careful, we'll think that we're the person of importance and God accepts whatever we want to give him. If that were true, he wouldn't be God. We'd be God and he'd be the one needing us. But no, no, he says, this is how to come before me. Come before me with joyful songs. When you approach me, I want you to bring before me shouts of gladness and joy. I want you to come before me rejoicing and singing. Singing is a key thing that God loves. It's in his word. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. 
Um, so it's interesting, I, I skipped verse 3. He says, know, know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. That's the key. When you come before him in the way he wants you to come before him, you remember that he's God and I'm not. He gets to decide what approaching him looks like. I love if, if any of you have been to uh, Jerusalem, if you've been to the temple, the southern stairs, where most people believe the Holy Spirit poured out and they baptized 3,000 people. The, the stairs are really weird. Some of them are 10 feet you know, deep. Some of them are a foot. And you kind of like stumble your way up. And we did it as a group. And our guy goes, do you notice anything? We're like, yeah, the stairs. We're like, for people who built this amazing temple, they're terrible at stairs. You know, they're like, how could they be this bad? And so he was like, they did it on purpose so that nobody would stride into the house of God. You literally have to look at your feet almost the entire way up. You have to humble yourself to come to the temple. God, they're, they're like, we don't want anybody coming here with pride in their heart. We want them to like slow and almost halting approaching God because he's holy, because he's all powerful. He's all knowing. He's, he's majestic and glorious, all these things. So, so the Lord gives us this thing and it's so that we know that he's God and we're not. So, so what happens with this, right? So just a few things that I want to talk about singing. And I know most of you are going to be like, I believe this, this is fine. Uh, but I, I think that it's important to know why we as a church are valuing worship through singing, like praise through singing so highly. And so the first thing it does, it just positions us correctly before God, right? What does verse two say there? Verse three says, it's he who made us. He's God. He made us and we belong to him. So our, our, our singing causes us to come correctly before God and it aims our heart toward him. There's something different about saying something to singing it. And if you don't believe me, just try it over lunch. Like if you have something to say to somebody at the table, sing it instead of saying it. See what happens. I guarantee you're going to be like, okay, hold on. <clears throat> yeah, right. You're going to be like, okay, I'm going to sing quiet. You're like, it's going to be this thing where it's just something interesting about singing that it just positions us with a little bit more humility, I think. Because it seems like a big deal. It seems like we're actually trying harder. I can just talk without trying, but if I started to sing, I would have to focus. Um, so it positions us correctly from God. I think it's really interesting, too, that in terms of, of what it does in us, if you've done any voice lessons before, uh, I, I think this is correct. So I'm going to Trent, Alicia, I'm look around the room. But, but like one of the things they say is to like, like sing from your gut, right? Like when you see somebody who sings like, like opera, it's like they have something inside of them that's different. than anybody, But it's because they've learned. But it's something about... You connect to like the center of you when you sing. You kind of have to go in and like, oof, you push that out. And what you do when you sing spiritually is you gather up all the stuff that God's done in you and you, you push it out toward him. Seeing it positions us correctly, it aims our hearts as God, at God. It roots us in our identity. He who made us, we're his we're his people, the sheep of his pasture. When we sing these songs and when our songs are rooted in the Bible, it reminds us of who God is and who we are. So it reminds us of our inward identity and it also reminds us of our outward identity, that we belong to him inwardly and that we're his sheep outwardly. We're, we're actually part of his family, his flock. We're part of his group. And I think it's a really beautiful thing because I think if we're not careful, we start to forget 
our identity. We start to forget who we actually are. We start to forget who God is, where we're at in this story, what's actually happening in the world. So it's interesting because the Bible actually says that God's a singer. Do you guys know this? Anybody know the verse? God's a singer. Zephaniah. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. You know, one thing that happens almost universally is when people have a baby, do you know what they do? They sing. Isn't that interesting? It's like a universal thing. When you get a mom with a little baby and it's all quiet and it's just her and the baby, it's, I bet you it's about 100% of the time you sing. Isn't that interesting? Why do we do that? Why is that universal? I think it's because God's a singer and we're made in his image. When we get a chance to reflect the heart of God for a, for a human being, who he is to us, we sing over them. They don't know what's happening. All they see is the face and they hear the words and it's this beautiful thing. How many of you guys have a family song? Anybody inherited a family song for babies? Anybody? We, we did. Do you want me to sing it? No, I'm not going to sing it. Just sure. <laughs> But our family song went like this. It's sweet little, so it'd be sweet little Jonathan, your mommy loves you so. Sweet little Jonathan, your daddy loves you too. Uh, sweet little Jonathan. Uh, what's, what's the name? Oh, I forgot it. I've got to sing it. Sing it, Rachel. My sister's here. I'm just joking. I'm going to put it like, um, your, dad, uh, sweet little John, your daddy loves you. He loves you when you're happy. He loves you when you're sad. He loves you all the time, even when you're, uh, when you're good or bad. Sweet little Jonathan, your daddy loves you. Your mommy loves you too. So like my mom sang that over us. I've sung it over my nieces and nephews. I sing it over our kids. It's just this little family tune. And it's really interesting because it roots you in your identity that you're loved. Your mommy and daddy will love you all the time, no matter what, whether you're good or bad, whether you're happy or sad, whatever's happening. The Lord your God's with you. He rejoices over you um, with singing. God's a singer. And the interesting thing is God's surrounded by singing because God's a singer. He loves singing. So literally in his presence, they're singing constantly, right? The four living creatures, the 24 elders, they fall down before the lamb. Each one has a harp and they're holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Then I heard from heaven like a roar of rushing waters, like a peal of thunder. I heard what was like of that of harpists playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and elders. I saw what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire standing beside the sea. Those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and over the number of his name, they held harps given them by God and sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Isn't that cool? They're literally singing the song of Moses from Exodus 15 in heaven right now. Isn't that cool? They're like singing our worship music up there. That's pretty cool, right? You're going to get busy. Like, you might write a song that they sing in heaven. How awesome would that be? So they're singing. He's constantly surrounded by singing. And then there's just all these other verses in the Bible about singing and singers and songs. Should I go back? It's a lot. It's all over the Bible. God loves singing. And I love it says make a joyful noise, right? It doesn't say make a beautiful noise. 
right? So this, this is one of the things I love about going to like Pentecostal charismatic services is because there's so much going on in the room and it's so loud. Nobody cares how bad you sing. But when you go to churches where it feels kind of quiet and you're like, oh no, everyone's going to hear me sing. If I sing out, it's going to be known. That's one of the things I love. I love our rooms loud because guess what? You can sing at the top of your lungs and nobody's going to notice. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. But listen to this. God determines the what and he determines the how. This, this is key. God's God, we're not. So I think one of the dangerous things that has happened in modern Christianity is we've made Christianity and our encounter with God about our pathways and preferences. I've literally had people tell me, well, worship is not my pathway to God. And I'd say, oh, I didn't know God offered pathways. Like, show me that in the scripture where God says, here's the seven different ways, you know, based on your personality. No, he says, come before me with joyful singing. He actually tells you how to come to him. He says, this is what I like. So here, here's, if Annie had something that she really liked, but I didn't care about it, what should I do as a husband? I should probably figure out how to like it, right? And, and what's funny about it is in a, in a good relationship, as you love someone do it by doing the things they like, you end up liking them. And even if they don't become for you what's like top, what happens is you, you get so much joy out of seeing somebody else light up through the things that they like, you start to actually enjoy it even more than things you really like. That, that's where real love comes out is when you're like, my desire is to see you light up more than it is than to see my desires fulfilled. So what is it that makes you happy? That's my goal now is to see the look on your face when you're happy, right? So can I tell you what this looks like? This looks like driving across I-40 in the desert when you've stopped at the Grand Canyon for a three-hour detour for a three-minute viewing. Any, any parents in here done this road trip where you're like, we're driving by the Grand Canyon. We got to see it. Let's pull off. We get up there. It's 30 degrees. We have no jackets. It's freezing. And our kids are like, can we leave? And you're like, hey, look at this. And they're like, I don't care. Hot chocolate. They just want hot chocolate. So we're like, literally a three-hour drive for a three-minute viewing of the Grand Canyon. And there were about an hour past that. And there's a store that has petrified wood and Annie's like I want petrified bookends she literally is like I want to stop for a box of rocks <laughs> that's literally like not only just a box of rocks we're going to pay for a box of rocks and so I'm like alright Lord I love Annie love Annie's like her gifts increase my life so much thank you Jesus let's get the box of rocks that's <laughs> But you've never seen somebody so happy over a box of rocks before. I just look at them like, they're old rocks. I mean, that's cool, but they're rocks. But she was happy. So what I'm saying is I'm a good husband. Everybody say, good job, Jonathan. <laughs> Thank you. Hashtag humble brag. Uh, anyway, so that, that's, that's kind of what it's like is we just say, God, I don't get to determine what it looks like to please you. I want to know what it takes to please your heart, and I want to do that until the point where I love doing the thing that pleases your heart. The what, he says singing. He says, come before me with singing. And how? How do you sing? Joyfully, loud shouts, praise, harps. Like you get this thing where David told them the manner with which they were to worship the Lord. And really the overarching theme of the worship of God that he asked for is passion. He's like, I want your passion. 
And it's, and it's cool because God's like, I don't say that you shouldn't have passion for other things. All I'm saying is your passion for me should equal your passion for other things at least. I deserve at least the same amount of passion as an OU football game. March Madness. How many of you guys watch March Madness, game-winning shot? I've got a picture of me a few years ago. I was blessed to get courtside seats for a Thunder game. Uh, playoff game, remember KD hit the corner three and got fouled? Anybody remember the four-point play? And I got so many texts and calls from friends because we were on uh, the Sports Center pop, Top 10, uh, my brother-in-law Blair and I. And it was like, we're just sitting there because we're down. We're like, oh, man. And then all of a sudden the shot goes up. And I've watched it in slow-mo on YouTube. You can go find I'll send you a clip. It's awesome. Uh, and it's literally, we're like, and I mean, the whole thing, and it was just like, well, if, if Jesus enters a room, is he better than a Kevin Durant four-point play? Yeah, I think so. I think, I think my expression at church is at least should be equal to my expression to a basketball game that doesn't matter. It's just fun. God's like, I love, he loves my heart in that way. He's just saying, I just want your heart in the same way. That's it. I want the same thing. So God gets to do that. So what happens? There's just a few things. Singing. Friends, singing praise in thrones, God. It actually literally builds a throne for him. Psalm 22, 3 says that God is enthroned in the praises of Israel. He's like, as you sing in this crazy um, realm where his realm and our realm are intersected in ways that we don't even understand, in the spiritual realm, you can actually build a throne for God in this room. And we do it every week. We do it multiple times a week. And the cool thing is as you build those kind of throne room things for God in places, it lingers. It lingers. And, it, and so people walk through our doors all the time and they're like, I felt God's presence the moment I entered this room. And it's just because we've been enthroning him in our praises for so long, so many hours in this room. But the same thing can happen in your house too, right? You can enthrone him in your house. You can do it in your car and somebody gets in your car like, man, what is, what's with your car? It's like God's here. You're like, because I sit in my car and I worship constantly. I just make this little place like a throne room, singing praises and thrones God. The cool thing though is it actually has the opposite too. The singing of praise of God dethrones the enemy. It challenges the enemy, right? Let me, uh, I thought I had a verse there. Uh, let me see here. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies. To silence the foe and the avenger, your praise silences your enemy. So if you're feeling attacked, if you're feeling cursed, if you're feeling under oppression, your answer is begin to sing the praise of God recite his character and his attributes and his, his deeds. You start to just tell about him. You just shout it out there. And what happens is things have to respond in the spiritual realm. Singing praise drives away darkness. First Samuel 16, Saul had this evil spirit who would come upon him. And what he'd do is he'd call David and David would play his harp and sing praise to God. And the spirit would flee. Because guess what? The spirit of darkness cannot exist where the praise of God is. Why do you think demons constant, constantly were responding to Jesus? Because God's presence was dwelling on earth and wherever he went, they had to cry out. You know what they did? They're like son of God. They literally were forced to acknowledge him. And then they were like, we know we've got to go. Send us this way or that way. They were trying to say like, hey, we know we're leaving. <laughs> we can't stay if you're here. Singing drives away darkness. If you're feeling darkness, 
I know it seems counterintuitive when I feel depressed or I feel down or I feel anxious, but guess what? It's the answer. The answer is begin to give God praise, begin to recite his deeds, begin to sing to him about who he is and who you are. Remember your identity. Start to root your identity through praise in God. And then singing is a, a weapon of our warfare. Second Chronicles 20, I love this. When he had consulted with the people, um, uh, this is Joahash, um, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord. So they're like, this great army has arrayed against Israel. And he's like, what should we do? He prays, he fasts, he calls the people together. And he's like, I know what I'll do. I'll put the army together and we'll go out and we'll trust God. But what we'll do is we'll, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should uh, praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. He's like, we're going to send the army out, but guess what we're going to do? We're going to put the worshipers up front. And the worshipers are like, are you sure about this? Can I at least have like a knife <laughs> or something? Give me a weapon, you know, something. Isn't that crazy? He's like, no, 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 you're going to go before us. And what did they do? Isn't that cool? He's, what he told them to do is he said, I want you to stand at the front of this army and praise the beauty of God's holiness. And here's what we know. God's God. He will not be mocked. He will not let us fail. And they won the day. Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. We have examples of this. Uh, uh, oh, oh, this, this is, I didn't know how to say this. So like, this is how I said it. So singing is like a backdoor hack. It's, it's, it's like you were built with like a hack into the system to get through to you. And singing is something that does that. So I'm watching a lot of your faces right now and I'm getting nothing. <laughs> that's okay. You might just be like, that's your resting face. That's cool. I don't know. Uh, resting, where's, where's Billy? Billy's not here. I probably shouldn't say that. Never mind. Uh, singing is like a backdoor heart. So it's the kind of like this thing, when I talk to you, you are able to put up so much resistance against my words. You're like, Jonathan's an idiot. <laughs> He's a pastor. He doesn't know anything. Blah, blah, blah. His life's a mess. If anybody knew, I mean, Annie's like, man, if they had to live with him, they wouldn't listen to him. Right? Yeah, you're like, all this stuff, and yet when we sing praise to God and when we extol him, when his presence comes, it's like we, we start to lose our defenses because something in us opens up because we were made to sing and to be sung over and we were made to see and behold, we were made to desire and delight, all these things. So it puts us in this place for God to get access to us in ways that other things can't. And part of that is even just the, the, the neuro, uh, the way that God wired our brains that when we do something actively, it, it puts our active brain to sleep and allows our subconscious. So you'll notice as you're gardening or as you're riding your bike or as you're sailing or as you're painting or as you're, you're doing these things, you notice like, like these epiphanies happen, like you get ideas and you get solutions because that's the way God's wired us. Like, you're like as long as I attack this straight on, I never get an answer. And the moment I took a walk and I just got my body into motion, it's like, the answers came out. I know that happens when I'm singing so many times. I've, I'm battling through something and I'm just singing to God and I just forget about the thing. I just sing to him and all of a sudden, whoop, I get something. Or, you know what happens? Somebody else gets something for me. And they come up there, hey, I saw you and I was praying for you. I got this picture and I'm like, that was it. All I had to do was get in his presence and sing and look at what God does. It's like this thing, because singing is actually part of discipleship. This is part of our discipleship is to become worshipers and singing is a core of worship. Can you sing? So, so is, is worship more than singing? Yes, but it's not less. 
Can we just put that? Like worship is definitely more than singing. Your whole life is worship. Your job is worship. Your marriage, all, all this stuff, our living body, our bodies as living sacrifices. But friends, it's not less. It includes singing as a core thing. We have all these examples, right, in, in scripture of Elisha. I love when he says, as surely as the Lord sir, uh, lives whom I serve, he says, uh, he's, he's um, battling against the king of Judah. But he says this, he says, bring me a harpist. Isn't that interesting? In the midst of this battle, he's like, hey, I need some music. <laughs> I love He's like, theme, I need some theme music. I need some worship. And the harpist shows up. He says, while the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha. There's something about music that created an atmosphere that God said, all right, I'm ready. And he comes. You find Paul and the apostles in Acts 16. At midnight, Paul and Silas, what were they doing in prison? They were praying and singing hymns. I, I, I toured a museum in northern Indiana. It's about the Anabaptists and about the, how they would, um, you know, it's just ter- terrible persecution uh, of these folks. It's like an Amish colony. It's all these things. And so in the midst of it, it was just this really weird device. And I was like, what is, anybody been there? I know Kristen's been there. <laughs> You've been to that museum? Yeah. And I was like, what is that device? And they're like, that was to, to bind their tongue because they would sing hymns while we tortured them. So we had to create a device to bind their tongues so that they couldn't sing while we were killing them. Isn't that wild? That's the story of Christians throughout the ages, martyrs who would sing praise to God while they gave their life for the faith. Singing is such a huge part. Paul says this, give thanks always for everything uh, to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, make melody to the Lord and with your heart. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart. And then the last one is, is I think this is really huge, is singing is actually a key to releasing revival. This is in, in the Bible. You see David in his tabernacle, right? He assigns uh, 288 singers and 4,000 musicians so that there would be 24-7 worship and prayer in the tabernacle where God would have a dwelling place on the earth where people could come and meet with him. Because he was provoked when the ark went to Obed-Edom. He saw how Obed-Edom was blessed. And he's like, man, that blessing is actually meant for Israel. We got to get it together and get back to the beginning, which where God dwells with us. And then you see every single time revival would come to Israel, what they did is they reinstituted David's worship. They'd be like, we got to get back to that. That's the thing God loves where there was just a place with the ark in the center and worshipers and singers stirring up God's presence. And as you read, you find that David's tabernacle almost perfectly reflected the throne room of Revelation 1 through 5. The numbers of singers and musicians, all these stuff. It's wild that David somehow prophetically, through the Holy Spirit, built a place on earth that looked like the place in heaven. And then every time they would rebuild that place, it would happen again. They would, God's presence would return to Israel. Ezra, Nehemiah, Zerubbabel, Josiah, all these people. David's tabernacle reflected the throne room. And so what it, what it shows is that God desires a dwelling place on the earth. All through scripture, from the garden to the city, from Genesis to Revelation, everywhere across the world, across time, God's desire is to dwell with his people, right? In the garden, with Israel, across the desert, right? In the tent of meeting, to the tabernacle, to the temple, to Jesus in flesh and blood, to the church. 
and someday to what they call the city of God, where Jesus, it won't even need a sun because his light will fill everything. So this is key because if God wants a dwelling place, the question is, is the church of this day a dwelling place for God? Is this a place where he can come and rest and be with his people? So David's tabernacle reflected his throne room. I believe the church should be reflecting it as well. I think God wants to dwell in the midst of his people. I'm going to invite the worship team back up. And we're going to practice what we preach. We're going to sing. But if all that didn't convince you, can I just say one of the most clear marks of why this is important is because of the fruit we've seen. What happens in a place where people um, worship and pray consistently together and encounter God's presence? And what we've seen is people's lives transform. They radically change. Um, and, and this is one of the, the things that, that really changed my view was, it was kind of one of those things where, where five or six years ago when we started this journey, it was like, man, if preaching could change people's hearts, America would be the most changed church in the world. We have more preaching, more content, more books than anyone in the history of the world. And, and yet we're not seeing this like radical transformation of people. We're seeing a lot of good things. Um, but since we started singing as the primary act of the church, like this worship, this place for God to dwell, we have seen more transformation. Um, and, and it's increasing. That's the cool thing. It's just like the more we do it, the more transformation we're seeing. So we're seeing more now than we did five years ago. It's not like there's some peak and then you're like, oh, okay, that was cool. That was a season. It's like, no, no, no. The more we do it, the more we see. And it's kind of this thing too where the Lord just said, hey, I want you to go after depth, not width. Just like deeper. I want you to go deeper and deeper and deeper into my presence. And so if you were asking me like, what's the future of Skyline? Like, I would actually say more like what David's doing. I would say more singers, more musicians, more worship, more prayer in this building, more hours of the day. And not in a way that we pursue that vision because we have a vision and we're trying to, it would, it would just be an outpouring of like, as people come in and get changed by his presence, they were like, I could sing. Awesome. I can play guitar. Awesome. Then we'd have noon worship every day. And we'd start evenings or we start stuff like that. But again, this isn't like vision casting. This is just what I could see as a natural progression of a church that desires more and more and more to be in his presence and have more and more of a place for people to come in. Um, so our, our friend uh, Robert last week, I got a great picture or two weeks ago of him coming out of the baptismal pool like this. Anybody remember that? Where's Robert? Where's Robert at? Is he in here? Robert, there you go. That, that's a, such a weak clap. Okay, that's better. Oh, that, that hurt my heart. I was like, oh Lord, no, not that. So Robert, you don't really, Robert walked in on a Wednesday night and his life has radically changed because this church has created a dwelling place for God in this city. Isn't that amazing? Yes. So what's cool is we've gotten to be a part of Robert's journey after, but he met Jesus here just as we worship. Wednesday nights, Monday at noon, uh, Sunday mornings. And what I see is I think there's so many people who are just looking for the church to be open. 
to be available. Like, is anybody here? Is there a place where I could go and pray and worship and hear and see? And I mean, like, is there a place? And so I would love to see as our church grows, to see more and more of that openness, more prayer, more worship in this place, that more people in this city would know if you have hit hard times, if you're wandering the streets of this neighborhood, there's a place you can go and it's open. God dwells there, not because God just loves buildings, but because God loves people who love him. He loves to dwell. So I want you to stand to your feet. And would you just close your eyes and just take a moment. I just want to pray over us. As we sing these last two songs, we're going to sing a couple songs, we're going to take communion. I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, as I sing, would you let me see Jesus? Would you just give me a picture of his face? Would you let me, give me a sneak peek of that throne room that we've read about this morning? Would you show me something? Would you allow me to feel something new? So it's like this agreement with the Lord that says, I will do what you ask me to do. I will sing. I will sing. I will come before you, God was singing, not because I'm good, but because you deserve it. You deserve my song. And then just say, Lord, let me see your face. Let me feel your presence. Let me hear your voice. we love you. We love that you say, if we lift you up, you'll draw all people unto you. So we are committed to this work, to using our worship to build a dwelling place for you in Oklahoma City. That it would be known that there is a place where you can come and seek the Lord, to inquire of him, to gaze on his beauty, and that all people are welcome that you don't have to clean up before you come here. You just need to come get near God and let him do the work. So Jesus, would you help us? Holy Spirit, would you empower us? Would you raise up people in this room who are singers and musicians who never thought that that gift would be used to create a dwelling place for you, but this vision is just coming up? Lord, so that we would have more hours of more days where people could come. They could come and see, they could come and feel, they could come and taste that you're good. So Lord, we just want to make a covenant with you that we will be a singing church. We will come to you with what you ask, which is with joyful song, with passionate hearts, with delight, and with expectancy that you want to work. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Father God. We love you, Holy Spirit.